Welcome to Making Coffee, a behind-the-scenes look at what goes into making one of the world's favorite beverages. I'm your host, Lucia Solis, a former winemaker turned coffee processing specialist. Thanks for joining this week's episode. Hi, friends. It's December, and I can't believe I'm about to spend my third Christmas in Colombia. And in January, we're putting on our third fermentation training camp. I'm feeling very lucky with so many threes on the horizon. And before we get started on today's episode, I'd also like to mention that FTC3 has sold out, which is very exciting for our third fermentation workshop, and I'm looking forward to meeting those of you who will be joining me in Colombia in January. Um, so if you were hoping to come, but you can't make it this time, go ahead and head over to my website and sign up for my newsletter, because I'll be announcing any future events through that email first, and then, you know, when I get around to it, it can sometimes trickle into uh, Instagram and kind of other channels, but the newsletter is the best place to get the latest information. So the website is lucia.coffee, and the sign up is at the bottom of the page, and that's l-u-x-i-a dot coffee. With all the work that goes into planning an event like FTC, and as you know, general end-of-the-year activities, I haven't had an opportunity to prepare a new episode for all of you. But today's episode is a bit of an end-of-the-year surprise. It was supposed to be a Patreon member exclusive, but it was just so good and interesting that Nick thought we should share it with the regular podcast audience. After episode 49 came out with Vava and Wenyi, we received a lot of feedback that people would like to hear more, and they also had plenty of questions they wanted to ask Vava. I held a Discord office hour session and invited her to join and interact with the podcast listeners to allow members to ask her questions directly. Well, that was the idea at least. As you know, Vava lives in Kenya and I live in Colombia on the remote mountain and we were connecting with about 15 patrons from Mexico, India, Portugal, Honduras, Hong Kong, Scotland, the United States, and also here in Colombia. So this wonderful group unfortunately strained the connection to Vava in Kenya. So while we could see her and she could hear us, she was unable to actively participate in the conversation that day. So what we ended up doing that day is patrons submitted their questions and then I connected with Ava the next day to have her answers. So this episode is a result of the fantastic input from the listener community of this podcast, and I would like to thank them all for being so thoughtful and engaging. First, we're going to hear from Paula, a young producer in Mexico who has a small family farm in Oaxaca, and she roasts her own coffees in Querétaro at her company, Café Mono Azul. Then you'll hear a question from Lowell. He runs an exporting company with his wife, Mayra, in Honduras called Catracha Coffee. Then Frankie, a barista in Glasgow, Scotland, which I will be reading for her. And then finally, we'll hear from Jack in Nariño, Colombia. All right, let's get started with Paula's question. Okay, so um, I, w- I will listen to the episode again. But one of the things that uh, called my attention was that you have an auction system in Kenya, which I, I if I understand correctly... Um, it's like all the coffee that you sell as a country has to go through that auction system, right? Well, I don't know if this is the case or not. But, um, okay, in Mexico, we used to have uh, um, an institute, like a national coffee institute. And it regulated everything. It regulated the prices and the producers were certain that they were going to sell their coffee. So to me, it had a, a positive uh, side but then uh, also I've heard a lot of people saying that it was not good because the quality was like um, was not able to go up. Um, 
I mean, I, I was it, it was gone before I was even born. It was it disappeared in the eighty nine, nineteen eighty nine. So, but but something that I have thought over and over is that maybe we need like governmental regulation for our market because if not, the producers that have a uh, high capital and that can produce these winning uh, co coffees, they can sell their coffees for a good price, but then all the other producers can't. So what I wanted to ask you is what, how experience with that? Do you think that that is like a model to replicate in other countries, or you think there is maybe like a better model to um, protect uh, the farmers? Okay, so that was Paula's question, and Baba, can we just start with the very first one to clarify? She wasn't sure if all of the coffee in Kenya has to go through the auction system, or if uh, there's another way around it. So can you answer that one? Not all coffee goes through the auction. Um, uh, there's two windows. There's the auction window where 95% or more of the coffee goes through the auction and then the rest of it goes through a direct sales window. And uh, the way it works is when, and farmers have right of refusal on any direct sale because when farmers sense that the market is good, they would rather the coffee goes through the auction and they get a competitive bid But then they will also still come back to you who offered a direct sale and then um, negotiate. And as a direct buyer, you always have to give a better price than what's at the auction. So sometimes it may not play in the favor of someone who's like watching their pennies. Like if you're really um, just looking for like, um, you know, to, to really like just go on market prices and not like better the deal or sweeten the deal for a farmer, you might just as well buy at the auction because the auction, to be honest, is a competitive um, place and prices vary depending on what's happening in the world market. That's when I say that it's, it's also, it's not heavily influenced by the sea market, but a lot of the base prices that we set are influenced by, of course, what's happening in the marketplace, but then we bid as per quality. So uh, to answer the first bit, not all coffee has to go through the auction. And how system. easy is it for a producer to say they don't want to go into the auction system? How many options are there to reach out to somebody like you who's kind of on the outside? Not many, especially if the the the, the producers are not sort of exposed to direct buyers because to be honest it's a privilege for producers to really know buyers at all. In fact, a lot of them are shocked when they meet a buyer. They're like, whoa, you actually are, are willing to buy my coffee directly. So not all producers have that privilege. So a lot of them go through the auction window, which is what they know. And they often hope they meet a direct buyer because they know they're going to get more money regardless, you know. But, you know, I would say that it's a double-edged sword for us traders sometimes because Here you are wanting to invest in a producer wholeheartedly, but then they're like, wait, let my coffee go to the auction and then I can <laughs> and then I can negotiate with you. So so sometimes it's really like you're like, okay, um, where is this going? But then to be honest, producers will never agree on a price until the trading day has come and gone, and then the next day you're negotiating on that direct sale. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we can move on to, to her second point. So the first part was about the auction system and does all of the coffee have to go through the auction system? I think that was a misconception. I had that too, thinking this was the only way out. And now it's it's most of the coffee, right? It's 95% of the coffee. And even that last 5% you're saying is not necessarily completely accessible to all producers. It's still 
something that um, mm-hmm. is not is not as much of an option as I think. Are you fighting for that? Are you trying to get more awareness? Um, to be honest, for me, it's it's important for producers to to know that um, they have an option for direct trade, but not all of them have access. But also, you realize that the auction system is a democratic um, sort of platform. So I do want like when producers who we've been working with for years are also like, let's see what happens in the market on Tuesday. And then I can sell you my coffee. I'm totally okay with that because I'm like, I'm not a dictator. I'm like, I want them to get a feel of what the market is like, and then we can negotiate. So it's a bummer for a business person, like not to just be out there and be like, Hey, this is the price, but you also have to respect the producer's right to you know, democracy or refusal, because that's where they can gauge where the market is at, and then they come back to you. Because you see, it's it's a it's it's a fair playing field for for all of us, you know. So you don't want to be that person who's taking away that right as well. And that's why I often say, like, you can't demonize the auction system. I know there's parts of it that need to be fixed. There's certain policies that need to be improved, but it's not what people make it out to be. You know, it's even when I read that article, I'm like, um, there's a miseducation for a lot of people just because of, it's important, like from Paula's point as well, I think it's important that governments protect producers because otherwise they're taken advantage of by people that just want to take, take, take and not pay the right price for 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 commodities or for coffee and yeah so it sounds like the auction system like again we're taking this kind of like step by step so it is very good for producers to have options so it sort of depends like who is the system good for and who's benefiting and so in this situation it does seem to benefit more the producers even though somebody like you an exporter can feel a little bit of that frustration of like okay i'm waiting but in the end you know it's better for the producer they're more empowered to have options and it's it's a little bit of what we talked about in the first episode together where it was like it may not be the best thing for yourself and you kind of have to like take yourself out of it and say okay this benefits other people way more and that is more important than like my immediate like stability or my immediate gratification yeah precisely yeah so the second part of her question was you know do you think that this is a model that other coffee producing countries could or should be adopting like what's the extent of that how much should we take from the system um to be honest i think in terms of like if if i was okay if i was to sort of distill this in a simple way and say like for countries that don't have the system it's hard to to write uh, a statistical article about how coffee is treated in a country with where people just go and buy farm gate and you're out because who then collects this data? I like, like I've told you this before on our past conversations, I like the fact that there's a database that I can reference as as a as an as an exporter, as a trader, or someone who has interest in coffee and I register for a license that gives me access to this database. It's in, it's important to know season to season, year to year, how coffee's fed you know, in the Kenyan market, no matter the season, no matter what, like, it's a good reference point historically for even 
people that are going to write about coffee in Kenya. So you were saying it's a good reference for people that want to have this information season to season, that there is a, a governing body that's collecting all of this information. So one of my questions is some of the criticism that I've heard about the auction system is that it is opaque, that it's it that they, a lot of buyers don't know where their money's going. And so what you're saying is that's a misconception. That's not true. There's actually more information. It's just maybe they don't know where to look. They don't know where to look. I think, to be honest, I was one open critic of the auction system when I started my business. And then I learned along the way that it was more beneficial for me to have this as um, a resource so that if I'm, if my organization is saying it's doing better, how, like, what's your measuring stick? Are you just saying you're doing better by, you're just going around paying farmers for coffee and not even like, um, what is your measuring stick and what is, what is your, the point uh, what's the word? Like, what is, um, what am I pegging my impact on? Like my positive impact is pegged on what? Is it like, and then my reference point has to be the auction. I'm like, I'm paying better than the auction. You know, I pay you $5 more than the auction. Am I, because nobody else will give you data. It's like, um, other people do direct sales, but they're really not going to reveal their data that openly. But I'm like, I know I'm doing better because I'm paying better than the auction, you know? And on top of that, there's other things that the auction system does not provide farmers, like they don't train farmers and whatever. And if we're doing a special processed coffee, I I get a home for that special processed coffee. Like there's special processed coffees that go on the auction, but they're lost in the system because the auction system does not have the category for naturals. It does not have the category for semi-washed. So when a farmer takes, and I know I'm answering a question that was asked in another later on, but I'm like, I give a home to coffees that are lost in the auction system as well, because the auction system does not have a category for special processes. So they then obliterate whatever a farmer did to a coffee and they sell it as that. So I was like, if I'm saying I'm doing better and this is why I'm doing better, what is the, what is my criteria for doing better? You have to have the standard and then you have to have like your 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 story of impact and you're referencing it to something here. So for me, it's um, I like the fact that um, even when we're talking about data and impact, I can now create a really good story using all that data at the auction. And I'm like, this farmer was selling at the auction this year, whatever. And then we came in and offered uh, $10 more. And we've continued, like, we give them that option. Like we're democratic as well as invested in, you know, growing with those producers. And in other countries, if you ask me, I think it's, it's a system that really, really, it also gives farmers like that whole, it's like watching a football match. Like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, the world cup for lack of a better reference, given it's starting today. It's like, um, it's like, um, how did we do last week? In, in 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 a court like in comparison to our colleagues or in comparison to other co-ops in the region you know so it creates that spirit of competition as well region to region farmer to farmer it's like my coffee got a better price than yours why is that my quality is better you know it's like a transparent system that showcases coffees from Kenya and everyone can log in and see that information it's like it's not hidden info like of course, you have to have a license to access, you know, or you have to have um, 
trading rights and all of that and be on the system to, to be able to access this information. But it's information that the Nairobi Coffee Exchange will happily share with people who are interested in, in you know, in finding out about um, how even each region trades in comparison to, to, to each other region. And for me, it's like you're lost in the candy land of coffee. It's like every week you have an option to go cup all the coffees from these regions. And it's up to you to decide which ones you really want to buy, depending on your bandwidth as an organization to taste all of these coffees. Can you taste all of these coffees? You know, it's so for me, it's like to have this kind of access of both coffee material and data is mind blowing. It's like, but I, I definitely know that when people complain about the system, it's because they don't know where to look for, like when they say there's a lack of opacity, it's because um, it's it's not knowing who to ask for that info. Because I know the, the opacity gets lost when people don't pay the marketing agent or they pay the, the person representing the coffee, then they don't know when the farmer is being paid. And by law, within seven days of bidding on a coffee, the farmer needs to be paid. And I know there's points where all, all of this is not clear to the buyers that want to do direct trade and whatever. It's a question of asking your relationship, the person who your, your, your exporter. If your exporter is not relaying this information, that's their fault. It's not the auction system's fault because the auction has its rules that all of us abide by. And if you don't abide by those rules, you're fine. So actually, that's something I didn't know. So with it, a producer has to be paid or a farmer has to be paid within seven days of the bidding. Yeah. I thought there was a much bigger gap between, at, at least that's what happens a lot here in these other countries. Like the coffee, the, they, farmers yeah. don't get paid until way later and it could be too late to be able to buy all of the stuff that they need for their farm. I know. In Kenya, the rule is if you're buying coffee at the auction within seven days, you need to have paid for that coffee. What happens where where the blurred lines come in is if the it's a co-op and the and the farmer borrowed money you know all of these advances that farmers take there's blurred lines and by the time their their check is cut you don't know but uh, for us because I tell you for a fact that for us when we sort of even if we negotiate with a farmer and we buy the coffee beer at the auction or whatever that farmer will keep calling me until they get paid like. It's like, because, and also because that's how um, accessible we are. Like, we're not like some buyer that's, I don't know, out of whatever it's like. And within the seven days, they get paid. So we do not delay payments beyond seven days. And the lack of opacity comes in if it's a marketing agent that's dealing with a co-op. And a co-op, you can imagine, has like 2,000 members. You don't know when each of the farmers now gets paid. And then that's when... So there, there are circumstances and situations where farmers wait more than seven days. And then that's where maybe there's a situation where maybe they maybe had a facility with a certain marketing agent and there's, it's a co-op. Mostly that happens like in a co-op situation where there's like 2,000 plus members or more than 1,000 members. And then there's like maybe they took... Um, what an advance on the harvest and things like that and things like that need to be worked out. And I'm not denying that there's unscrupulous marketing agents out there who've screwed up farmers big time. They are like, there's corruption. There's like, 
marketing agents who've taken off with farmers' money, those are there. And there's been bad stories. And but I, I blame the 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 marketing agents who represent the farmers and you know are the ones that are the custodians of the money and then they take off with the money. So there are those circumstances. And unfortunately those are now some of the things in the Kenyan policy of coffee trading that need to be looked at such that farmers are now more protected against you know, the unscrupulous marketing agents and the corrupt marketing agents who then are not um, paying farmers on time. But what is the role of the marketing agent? Because as I understand it, that position is very unique to Kenya. It's not something that a lot of other countries have. A lot of uh, other countries can, producers mm-hmm. themselves can get their own export license and export their own coffee directly to an importer. There's a few more steps in the Kenyan process. Yes. Um, a marketing agent, if, if, if I would even word it better, is a, miller, is a miller. So millers are also marketing agents in Kenya. So a lot of these farmers don't have, um, you know, if, if your farm is like less than five acres, you cannot go get a, a wet mill in your backyard. So if you're like that smallholder farmer and given the number of smallholder farmers in Kenya, which is like 700,000 plus, it's... Um, those farmers are at the mercy of another miller who's also the marketing agent. So in Kenya, the coffee millers, the dry coffee millers also double up as marketing agents. So you have your smallholder farmer who has less than an acre, who has a small farm who's now dependent on that miller and that marketing agent. So the miller receives your coffee and they also market your coffee so they sell the coffee on your behalf, be it to a direct buyer or take it to the auction. So that's the rule. So millers are marketing agents okay. as well. Yeah. So that's very different from here in Colombia, where any producer who has a hundred trees, who has a you know a tiny yeah. amount of coffee, can get their own pulper. They get their own tanks. They they can yes. process their own coffee and they can sell wet parchment. They they can sell their yeah. cherries. They can sell wet parchment and they can also sell dry parchment. Yeah, you're saying Colombia, yes, uh, they can sell wet parchment. Dry parchment. Dry parchment. They have yeah. a lot more options in terms of what they can do with their coffee. At what point do they want to hand yeah. it over? Yeah. So that kind of brings us to the other point of Paula's question about how does this limit the quality? Um, you were sort of telling us about that already, where there's not a lot of room for innovation. If there's not a category for it, then a producer really can't do it. So that's really yeah. difficult for trying new processes and innovating. As we know, it's it's probably a good thing for coffee at this point, because we really haven't been paying attention to processing. So innovation, I think, is really important now compared mm-hmm. to another product. Like innovating in wine is not that necessary. Like wine's good. Like we, all of this, you know, different next level stuff is... There's already a lot there. So innovation for wine is much more at the whim of like somebody who's bored versus I think with coffee, it's really necessary because we haven't been paying attention at this level. So can you speak a little bit about that kind of limitation of innovation and kind of how it can maybe stifle quality? Okay, to Paula's question, to yes, I see how the auction system limits um, innovation. However, are we really at the point whereby we really need to be innovating coffee or actually appreciating what we have and paying better prices for it to begin with? This is my question. Because I think, um, and I think farmers will also agree with maybe my question in that, first of all, they're not even fetching decent prices most of the time with washed 
coffees that are really, really good. And then now you're coming in and asking them to do like a, an aerobic process or a, I don't know, semi-washed, I don't know, honey, blah, blah, blah. And they're just like, listen, I'll do it if you're going to pay me in advance or, or whatever. Yeah, so systems like the auction system do limit levels of innovation, but that's not saying that they are not willing to listen and accommodate that. Is is there a market for it and are people willing to pay the price for it? And this, and this is why I like a, a place like the auction because they'll challenge you. They'll be like, Vava, why should we create an, a category for semi-washed, whatever, how many farmers are producing this and we need volumes? Because I remember a year ago... Um, when we were finishing trading at the auction at like two in the morning sometimes because there was so much coffee. And then we had to, a rule had to be set in place that don't bring two bags to like, if you're bringing two bags as, as like a lot to the auction, bulk it with other coffee because you're wasting our time. <laughs> so there was that whole argument of like, but what about traceability? What about like micro lots? What about the farmers that, you know, we need traceability and whatever. So then there was that pushback and then there was some allowance for like two bags, three bags, five bags, whatever. So, so you were saying that um, because of the efficiency and the size of the system, if you're only going to bring two bags, it was really not worth a lot of people's time, which was not, um, which prevented things like these micro lots that are so popular. And so, I mean, but what I'm hearing from you, though, is that in, in your conversation with them, it's a little bit of like the chicken and egg. They're like, we'll do it if enough producers are doing it. But the producers are like, we'll only do it if they let us do it in the auction. So like someone has to go first. Exactly. Does the chicken come before the egg? And like, so we have to sort of um, establish or like show that the demand is there for this to be a category. And I think we're well on the way to that point, especially maybe for naturals, because naturals are have been a thing, but only that farmers are not willing to produce good naturals, like 86 scoring. Some are. But if we can guarantee that there's a home for these coffees, I'll guarantee you that they shall be a category for naturals in the near future or like special process coffee, because we're evolving. I mean, these guys are like, I think, we're at the point whereby there's flexibility, but then you have to show of what value is this to a producer and of what value is this to traders, you know, because we're all in it. I mean, we're all here trade, trading and then the farmer wants to, to make money. So, but can you establish that there's a demand for this and then we can justify, you know, creating that category? Because all of us as, as progressive Kenyans do want to move beyond these auctions and i'm like we've been progressively working towards change of policy and in as much as there's like the progress is not huge yet it, it will come i believe in that because i know there's people on the ground who are listening and who are trying to create that change but at the same time unfortunately it's, it's a capitalistic sort of society whereby we for, for there to be that sort of special category for these coffees, show me the money, show me that the market really is asking for this and not just one or two roasters or like a bunch of roasters. Like, is it something that our farmers can benefit from? And if yes, it, somehow they'll make it happen. So 
hold on, there, there's two things I wanted to respond to that you, when you said about the, the quality, like, do we really need innovation in coffee? Can we just appreciate what we have? I completely agree with you that mm-hmm. I think a lot of these experiments are, I mean, they're selfish. fun. <laughs> like, if, if so, yeah, selfish. They are selfish. And I think they're fun. To be honest, they're fun. And I think farmers also need to be challenged. But at what cost, though? Is it like... Well, and the question is, are they really necessary? And and I think that a lot of the times they're not. However, I at least when I travel to mills, what I still see is there should be a lot more work or there could be a lot more work with just basic hygiene and just kind of cleaning up the system and just kind of bringing the bottom up. But I'm not really about pushing it up higher. So I think in a way, there's a lot of opportunity to just have a little bit more hygiene, a little bit more consistency, just reducing the defects. But do you need a, you know, 100 hour hydro honey, triple fermented lactic process? No, I don't think so. Yeah, because I'm just like every day there's someone who wakes up with a brilliant idea about let's do this next process in coffee for a competition. And how much coffee do you need for that competition? Really, it's just like there's so many new hip things coming up, especially in the consuming world that are pushed back on producers selfishly. And and then I'm like, so you're going to like build on this one farm, do all of these crazy experiments. And then how do we replicate the success of that one farm to every other producer in the region so that they all feel happy and benefit? I don't know. It's like, I think that there's selfishness in innovation sometimes because I'm like, we've not caught up yet. And like, even with in terms of pricing, and then you want to start talking about like, I don't know, the next thing on, on, I don't know. No, I I totally get it. (laughs) Yeah. For me, I'm just like, can we just sort out the fact that people don't want to pay enough for coffee? Like a lot of people are pained by paying for coffee and even a decent coffee. So I'm like, can we first stick on that, solve that and figure out why people can't pay for coffee and then start talking about producing fancy coffees? I don't know. No, I, I agree. And I and I think it's not necessarily bad or wrong. Like you said, it's it's fun. Like you should be having fun with your coffee. It's great to be challenged. But my problem is that it's often a distraction and it doesn't let us talk about the more important issues mm-hmm. of equality and and just, yeah, general how how we've been making coffee up until yeah. now. Um, yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, this is not really like a formed question, but like we, we can't like the the system the auction system in Kenya is 100% a colonial structure it was it was set up to be in yeah. you know this extractive from here to over there and so i'm wondering how much progress do you feel that Kenya can make when it still holds on to this system like how much empowerment can there really be when the umbrella of everything is still this colonial structure it's a good question um like, Very can there be question. freedom within it? Or do you think it needs to be completely, like, blown up and taken down? No, I don't think it needs to be blown up and taken down because I've just been that person who's just told you how much benefit there is in, like, some of those things that I initially I never understood until I also started analyzing each of these aspects and looking at how organized the system is. Because I'm like, we have one organized system whereby traceability is there in terms of, um, and for me, it's about like, maybe it's because I got into more ana- analytics of coffee and looking at how much 
if people really want this double A bean or A B, how much are we of the AA our farmers producing? How much of the A B? I was saying I don't think the whole system needs to be taken apart. I think there's benefits of having such um a data rich system whereby season to season I know how many bags were sold from this region and it was a double A or an A B and, and everything. You know, in as much as all of us who don't understand how it works, we demonize it. There's benefits to it. And I think those should be left. What I feel the system should do better is be a more inclusive system for Kenyan traders as opposed to just, I mean, to be a trader at the Kenyan auction needs a ton of money and a ton of security, which prohibits, I would say first, any young person who dreams of being a trader is like, it's it's a dream unless... You're from a very rich family and and you have money to lose and like money i just it's just so prohibitive in terms of like if you're thinking of going into coffee um i wouldn't say jump into becoming a coffee trader immediately it's just like nah like even i it's suicidal to be honest lucy it's a suicide it's like you're you're trying to kill yourself like even i don't know how i am i survive but i one day that's Maybe I can share insights as to how I had to restructure my company in order to to actually trade in coffee because I, you know, I lost everything at some point. Like you lose everything and you get into debt because you're trying to be a people's hero and you can't like, and you're trying to, to fulfill a dream. So I'm like, it's very prohibitive for anyone who's just trying to get in and trade. Um, and then it's it's for the big boys, really. Um, it's for the multinationals to run this thing. How much was it important for you to have been educated outside of Kenya to be able to then go back? Was that the key? Or do you think you could have still made it within having stayed in Kenya? No. Um, I thank my parents for sacrificing and sending me to all the the unis and the best schools and for, for really emphasizing education and for making me a nerd early on in life, like for loving numbers. Like that is why I'm saying that I, I see value in the auction system because I see numbers. I see numbers that people don't see. I see um, a history of Kenya, a history of Kenyan coffee that other people may, may, may not look at. And a history that just, if you map out Kenya and you look at numbers, it's, it's a beautiful thing. So had I not had that whole exposure to the Western world and especially to some of the best schools to just like become educated and to appreciate coffee when I was outside of Kenya in order to bring that knowledge back and be like, I got to do something, we would not be having this conversation today. So I appreciate the exposure and especially the exposure to, um, what's the word, um, the extractive nature of the West, you know, just how um a lot has been taken from africa a lot has been taken from producing countries i never appreciated that until i left and then i was like wait a minute that's coffee from kenya and it's lost everything like it's lost its origin it's lost its story so yeah that's what brought me here in many ways can can i ask a, a kind of a very similar question um my impression of Kenyan coffees is that, you know, maybe after Ethiopia, they, they fetch some of the best prices in the world. Um, roasters pay a lot of money for Kenyan coffees. And I know I'm being general. 
Um, and then the second thing I would say is that the quality of Kenyan coffees is always um, well respected. I mean, a lot of people when they're cupping coffees, if if they say it's like a Kenyan, that's that's a compliment, right? And so, um, so so my question is is similar to Paula's: is this high price? How is this high price and quality um, intersect with with government regulation? Um, because what I think Paula said was in 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 Mexico, government regulation led to lower quality. And then the other thing I would the other thing I would ask is an ex she's an exporter. We're exporters. Um, this last year in 2022, and of course now the prices have dropped again on the commodity market. But the the commodity market for exporters, I think, was very disruptive. And it's kind of sad and disappointing because for producers, it should have been the best year ever. Um, but I feel like producers. You know, we're 10 months past that and they don't have money. So, so my question is, how did, uh, how did the C market high prices affect Kenya? If at all, I would kind of think that the prices were already above that mark C market price. And it wasn't that disruptive for the exporter producer relationship. So that was Lowell's question asking mm -hmm. more from the perspective of an exporter. All right. Is, where is he exporting from? By the way, I just didn't get Honduras. Honduras. Okay, I'll, I'll start with his last question about the sea market and how it impacts. To his question about how the sea market impacts auction and everything, farmers were laughing all the way to the bank. When the sea market goes up, it's like, hey, I don't even want a direct trade with you. Let the coffee go to the auction. I'm happy, um, whatever. But of course, if they have a direct buyer, then they, they have another window to push you more. So you're like paying them an extra, extra. So for us, when the sea market is 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 doing well these farmers are like happy as you know they would rather and this is when a lot of farmers are like they're not even listening to direct sales they're just like eh, auction and then they know vava is waiting for my coffee then they call you and they're like okay, okay the auction was this much can you so as a business person you're at that point you're like really you're like hey how much you know but then you do the right thing and you offer a couple of dollars on top of the sea market. So farmers are happy when the sea market is doing well and the coffee goes to the auction. So government regulation is not a negative thing in this case. It's it's more for the protection of producers. So it provides an environment that is uh, a level playing field for everyone. So given the fact that quality is a huge factor at the Kenyan auction, people, everyone gets their fair chance to to sell a good coffee or buy a good coffee at the at the market. Um, to his, so I think I've answered like his entire question, right? Yeah, because we yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we've also talked about um, his quality question about yes. Kenyan coffees fetching mm. really high prices. So for, for, for comparison, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but something from Honduras or Guatemala could be maybe two hundred two dollars and fifty cents a pound, maybe three dollars, yeah. and Kenya is more like five, six, seven dollars mm. a pound, yeah. something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so for you know, potentially a buyer, they can see those higher prices, they can see $7 a pound, and maybe it's not in their budget, or maybe they feel um, a little bit intimidated by that right. price. Yeah. So does, I mean, and the, what's the, the assumption is that that money is then going to the farmers, that that producers are getting paid more, or they get a higher share of that price. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about that? Have you seen that play out? It depends on who who's 
the marketing agent, to be honest. That's a fair question. I mean, that's a fair answer. It's like um, if your marketing agent is doing by you and they're doing um, good by you in terms of giving you decent milling rates, decent financing, because farmers will always need financing. So, and if your marketing agent is shafting you, then you want to be shafted and, and you, you, you really don't see the money trickling down to you as a farmer. And this is when relationships matter and direct trade also benefits farmers is that if then you have maybe a Vava coffee or someone else buying your coffee directly, um, we do ensure that the, the bigger chunk goes to you and we look at, cause we go, we do look carefully at what your charges are at the mill cause it's an open relationship where, okay, you're like, Vava, I need this because X amount is going to milling and whatever. And oftentimes, we pay the miller and then we pay the farmer. I mean, like their profit, like that's how it works. Like the, the miller takes their cut and we make sure that the farmer also gets the agreed price. So it really, in this case, depends on who's their marketing milling agent and are they doing right by them? Um, or do they even have a direct relationship with someone like us or, yeah. So, and are they going fully through the auction or do they have some direct um, buyers? So, I've seen benefits of this and farmers can attest that there are benefits to to when when the markets are doing well and you I, I would say to to correct myself a bit, not really to correct myself, but to add on to that, the benefits really come about if you have a direct buyer in this case. Like um then you can truly negotiate and say, I this price, this is the quality, you've seen the quality, and I'm asking for this quality in place or you taking quality into account but also i have these are the milling charges and these are the financing charges and i like this as my take home and then you sit down and sort of agree with um, the producer so directory relationships really matter in, in this case like to ensure that a farmer is getting um, a good cut and taking that home with them frankie asked I was wondering about the impact of climate change in Kenya, particularly the impact it's having upon coffee producers. How are the current available varietals holding up? Are there moves towards hardier varietals, for example, Liberica or Robusta? I'd also like to thank Vava for her wonderful book. It's incredibly beautiful and awe-inspiring. Um, great question. So that's been, of course, a topic um, that we talk a lot about with producers, especially in how erratic uh, climate change is also changing the flowering patterns for coffee, the rain patterns, like it's so unpredictable. So of course, producers um, are trying to adopt to um, hardier varietals for sure, you know, grafting and no longer like being so sentimental. I mean, a lot of them can't afford to be sentimental to the, the older SL28 and all of that. So um, varietals that are hardier to you know, weather conditions that are also hardier to pests and disease, especially for producers that are also looking to be more environmentally friendly and use less pesticides or transition to what we call transitionally organic coffee, but more so varietals that can adopt to the erratic um, climate that they're facing, you know. So, um, yeah, and I know there's lots of research around that. And in regions where Robusta in Kenya is a thing, which is the western part of Kenya, um, 
some farmers I know are trying to to do a bit of robusta for that purpose, but more so because you know there's the new shift in specialty also to to adopt uh, robusta. Um, Arabica is a pricier varietal, especially Kenyan Arabica. So there's a lot of diversification also happening and a lot of knowledge sharing and producers looking for new ways to to adopt to the the changes in climate change. Thank you so much for the comment on the book. Um, amazing, amazing uh, love from everyone who has read the book, come across it. And uh, we recently wrapped up a London uh, Leeds book signing and tour and with that we had some cuppings and it was all well received and the love is overwhelming and we hope to have more distribution for the book in the coming year. Well, I just wanted to say I love the love the episode. I want to hear a lot more from Baba and uh, uh, especially about what uh, my wife called uh, white boy fuckery. Uh, which is, but she, she refers to all these things that roasters and marketers are trying to do that are not really in the, the best interest of, 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 of producers. So that was more of a comment from Jack that he enjoyed the episode and kind of mm-hmm. calling out some of that um, just bad behavior. Yeah, I think bringing some of that awareness. I think you mm-hmm. kind of talked about that too with. You know, it wasn't until you left Kenya and came back that you really noticed the extractive nature of kind of Western culture on coffee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how many, how many producers, at least it's been my experience when I talk to producers, that they don't see it that way. Like they're, they're kind of okay with the system. I don't know if it's just like the water that you're swimming in. <laughs> and again, I think that like, I don't know if I'm doing any any benefit by pointing it out and just being like, you should be more upset than you are. Like, you know, you should be angry because I'm angry, but it's like, but if they're okay, I don't know how much of a service that is to tell people (laughs) you should be upset. Yeah. And I agree with you. It's that sometimes I'm just like, do you guys see how exploitative this is? But then they're just okay. Like living in that whole mundane colonial type of like situation where they do as they're told and they don't want to like, so I don't know. Sometimes I say, and I keep saying this is like, for example, for Africa, it's like we're our own worst enemies because we just like, we are okay with being shafted sometimes. And I'm like, no, don't allow yourself to be shafted. And this this should not be the case. But I think it takes, and I, and I keep saying that it's because um, the system has been set up such that producers don't ask questions or they're not that educated or in terms of like what the world, the the world that exists is and that um, you have a right to ask and know where your coffee is going. You have a right to ask who's buying your coffee. You have a right to push back on price and you have a right to ask for education, like to know new things and to be exposed to new things. Like don't just take it that someone comes and tells you climate change is happening. That's why, your coffee is not flowering or whatever, just ask questions and, and, you know, and stop being oppressed. But I think it takes more exposure and more like um, farmers being exposed to radical humans to, to actually sometimes wake up and ask questions. But I think there's like um, a comfort zone of, of mundaneness. If there's a word like that. And I, for me, my, my, purpose of coming back home was to just I was like I have to help my community 
wake up and and realize that they can ask for better like no one should ever come and tell you take this i'm doing you a favor because you don't even where are you going to sell the coffee anyway um i'm the buyer and do you know these are the things that make me celebrate things like the auction system because like i was saying in the last um call we had there would be so many people flying into kenya just landing on farms and dictating prices to farmers like you know but thank god that farmers have a reference point to an auction system where they're like hey, hey wait a minute a double A's got this last week, so I'm not taking this price. If there was not that alternative, colonialism would be at play on farms today with people dictating prices and swooping in and buying container loads of coffee for like a throwaway price because, because they can. And this is the, the importance of governments and um, bodies like the Nairobi Coffee Exchange protecting producers. You know, I think that's a really good point to reframe it, that even though Kenya has like the most overtly kind of colonial structure set up, mm-hmm. that that protects farmers in a certain way that in other countries in Latin America and Guatemala mm-hmm. and Colombia, where I am, where there isn't that security, then that what you're describing happens way more often. That that neocolonialism structure of that that's very extractive, that all of the power is held on one side of the chain and not the other, like that happens way more frequently. And that's much more the standard that we're experiencing. So in these places where we don't have that structure, it tends to kind of shine more than kind of what you're, what you're describing and telling us. So I think that's really interesting. Um, It's just something that I think about a lot where I'm just like, I want producers to be much more, like you said, awake and aware. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be honest, if you can imagine if Colombia adopts a system like this and how much power that can give producers just by, coffee being traded based on quality yes you have a base mechanism of setting a price but then you go to the auction you trade based on the quality and people bid fairly and people have to clamor for good coffee and it inherently it does bring certain benefits to producers because then they have um what is it called uh but they have a lot of bargaining power because right now, everyone's just referencing a sea market. Like, half the time, you know, I know Colombia, people were trying to boycott the sea market. I don't know how those discussions are going, but I'm like, um, you've got the sea, and then you've got your own, like, national trading platform. And then you give producers sort of a a powerful platform to be able to say, hey, coffee from Uila or coffee from this region last week or this quality traded for this much so i'm not accepting anything less than that so they have a basis of an argument rather than someone checking into your farm and just picking like a couple of bags for whatever price they decide so i think there's there's benefits to sort of having that standard you know i don't know what what would you think about that but i'm just like i think Personally, it gives producers some sense of like a reference point of knowledge, which typically is not available to them. No, I definitely agree. I think more structure is needed in a lot of these places. It's very much kind of the Wild West. People it's like the Wild West. Of- yeah, like and then <laughs> let the gringos come and <laughs> let me not say what I'm going to say, but yeah. <laughs> No, no worries. I yeah, I want to definitely wrap this up because you've been so generous with your time and I really appreciate it. You're a very busy woman. And and I love I love these conversations because it's just very refreshing. So thank you so much for making the time twice to talk to me to hang out with my people.
thanks and we can do it a third time for the other piece later. As another year comes to a close, I'm getting very reflective on my life here in Colombia and about my work in coffee in general. And I've, I just want to say that I'm really thankful for all of you who are joining me on this coffee processing journey, all of you that tune in and listen to the episodes and bother to join on Patreon and send me messages. I really love hearing from you. It makes this very broad topic of coffee feel intimate, and I love connecting with you guys. So I just want to say again, thank you for hanging out with me. There are a million other coffee podcasts you could be listening to, and I appreciate that you allow me to take up some of your time. And if you want to spend even more time deepening your coffee knowledge or connecting with me or other coffee nerds, hop over to patreon.com slash making coffee to support the show and join our live discussions and hangouts. It's the patrons that make it possible for me to carve time out of my week to make these episodes and to have them available for free to everyone else. This episode with Vava is the first one that I'm sharing here to the general audience, but there are many more listener-led discussions in Patreon. Usually, the discussions are started with a harvest update from whoever is on the call. We often get harvest updates from Honduras, Mexico, Peru, and India. And during one really memorable hangout, one producer, Ashish, from Skia Coffee in India, told the group about one of his biggest pests, elephants. During the call, he shared pictures of a coffee farm that looked like it had gotten hit by a tornado, but was actually damaged by elephants ripping out the coffee trees with their trunks to scratch their backs. It's awful to see a coffee farm destroyed, but the image of elephants scratching their backs with the coffee trees is just too adorable. It's this image that I have not been able to get out of my head. Um, anyway, <laughs> these office hours are just full of updates and snippets from all corners of the world and all parts of the value chain. It's really a fun time, and it's really fun that you know I get to see a lot of the same people kind of month after month and get to see how they're doing in coffee, which I really enjoy. All the live office hours are recorded, and the replay is posted a few days later with some light editing, so if you go into Patreon right now, you can unlock several hours of coffee stories. The office hours are video, so it's really nice because we get to hop on and actually see who we're talking to and, you know, get to know each other a little bit better. Um, but if you don't like watching a video the whole time, it's also available in audio-only version. And my last announcement is that on December 20th, Christopher Ferran is joining the Discord to talk about his latest blog post, which is about rehydrating green coffee with various sodas. It's pretty wild and very hilarious. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. He also has the most experience of anyone I know with fermenting coffee with koji. So in a few weeks, he will be joining me on Discord with the patrons for a live discussion. So if you want to join that, again, head over to patreon.com slash making coffee and join us. If you enjoy listening and get value out of these episodes, please share with a friend who loves coffee or wine. And for episode updates, consider subscribing to my free and infrequent newsletter at lucia.coffee. Lucia is L-U-X-I-A. The newsletter is where I send news and reminders of new episodes and times for upcoming office hours as well. Okay, this is going to be the last episode for the year. Thanks for listening, and remember, life's too short to drink bad coffee. I'll see you next year. Thank you.